Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the Acast app or wherever you get podcasts. This is the Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by eToro. In this week's podcast, Newcastle United writers Lee Ryder and Chris Woff dissect the rest of defeat, talk about Rafa Benitez's tactics amid some fan frustration on Saturday, Mike Ashley's continual re-emergence at home games as well as away games, and Peter Kenyon's reported takeover interest in the club. I'm Sean McCormick, and this is the Everything is Black and White podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Sean McCormick, stepping in for Andrew Musgrove today. With me, I've got Chris Woff and Lee Ryder here, fresh from the lesser defeat. Um, you may be able to tell by our voices, we've got some swanky new kit here today. Yeah, we uh, didn't the, trust Andrew Musgrove no, with it. it <laughs> no, Andrew will be back there in the week to uh, record the podcast, but we've got, we've got the, uh, the debut show, as it were. Uh, guys, how are you doing? Obviously, it wasn't great at the weekend. You're both there. What were your thoughts on the game? Well, I mean, you're just dusting yourself down on a Monday after another defeat. But I think not too unexpected, really, with the way Newcastle have been playing. You can kind of like read how games are going at the moment, uh, where Newcastle, they start relatively well. They don't take the chances. And then, you know, the door's ajar for, for the opponent to, to get the opening goal, which is exactly what happened against Leicester. So disappointing that they're still not off the mark but realistically uh, you know you've got to look at this Man United game as another tough one and then after that it's going to be about um, you know that that more well what I would say is a less daunting fixture list between you know October and, and December. I thought Saturday was really quite deflating all around it was a game everyone's known for weeks was going to be very important as far as Newcastle United were concerned and it just didn't go for them at all. They were second best in just about every department. Had a couple of chances in the first half. Didn't look like taking either. And from then on, Leicester just grew from strength to strength. And frustratingly, uh, Newcastle had no response in the second half. Really did they look like getting back into it. A, a penalty shout aside. I can't really think of many clear-cut chances they had. And that that's what was the frustration that as soon as Vardy put that penalty in towards the end of the first half, the game was as good as done. And that was last, as you say, that's probably the biggest frustration, wasn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't the defeat. You know, they've been beaten by Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham at home, but they actually played decent in spells in those games. It was the manner of the defeat on Saturday, wasn't it? It was a team that they've picked out now. This could be the first home win, and they went out, went down without a fight, really, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, it was an awful kind of feeling around the ground. The fans, you know, stuck with the team and tried to lift the team. They made the feelings known to Mike Ashley. There was that sort of moment where Richie yeah. came off, and I would say some of the fans had an issue with it. I don't think it was all of them. I mean, yeah. it was, it's almost just like a a bit of frustration creeping out there, and that that substitution seemed to be what they wanted. To, some people wanted to pick on. Uh, for me, I think they definitely need fresh legs in the team. I don't know if Rafa's trying to make any type of point to Matt Richie of who is who is the boss, and if he is that, you've just got to accept that. But uh, you know, whatever way you look at it, Newcastle just weren't up to the le- anywhere near the level they were last season when they were winning games and they were picking off results. 
and uh, you know they do seem a long way from that at the moment and you know I wrote a piece today saying where, where's the next win coming yeah. from because you know Man United we all know is tough but even Brighton at home is, is going to be a difficult one it's very much in the must win category but it's no foregone conclusion because you know they've had a bit of a spend in the summer as well and they're more than capable of getting results so it's going to be a tough run and obviously you look at the, the difference in spend and I know we're labouring this point now you know the summer window's been and gone but Leicester arrived with having spent over 100 million in the summer and they just looked a different class in every single department of the pitch didn't they? Well that's that's the issue with Newcastle they're coming up against teams and even Palace Palace didn't spend that much in the summer but in terms of over the last few years you look at their front three it's worth the best part of 100 million in terms of fees that have either been paid or would be paid for them Zaha himself is probably a 60-70 million pound player Newcastle don't have anyone like that and I think the Hosselu chance in the first half really summed everything up. Hosselu is a hard-working player. He gives us all, and, and for, for that, there's a value of having him in the squad. But when he's your front-line striker, because Rondon's out with an injury, Rondon, who, since he's come in on a loan because Newcastle wouldn't pay the money to sign him permanently, hasn't been fully fit, and was a question mark of when he's going to be fully fit. So you have to play Hosselu, and that for me, wasn't the same of a, of a top-level striker. He only cost £5 million. Stoke City didn't want him, and he had the opportunity through on goal. And he, to me, he just looked confused as to what he should do. He was either didn't want to shoot or was just thinking for far too long, and that gave Harry Maguire the opportunity to come and nick the ball. You pay 20 25 30 million as you have to in the current market for a forward, then the, the probability is someone like Alassane Player, who they were looking for in the summer, if they'd have paid that money for him, put him in that opportunity I'd have certainly said he'd, he'd have got a shot away and probably have scored and on that point Lee it, it, it's kind of a question we keep coming to ask now where are the goals going to come from in the future because you know they didn't create many chances on Saturday but had Hosselu had a bit more of a you know a, 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 that, that kind of killer edge about him you would have pulled the trigger there whether you're not going to score we don't know but when chances are coming at a premium like that then Newcastle have to take them don't they well they do I think with with Hosselu you know He's already proved this season he is capable of getting a couple of goals. Uh, the difference is, is, is when Rondon comes out with the team with an injury, suddenly all the pressure's right on Hoslow. And it reminds me a little bit of when Alan Shearer got injured in um, 1997 and John Dahl Thomason, who was yeah. signed, a very promising young Danish player, uh, all of a sudden he was thrust in as the main man and he completely melted under the pressure. Uh, and that was what Hosselu's performance reminded me of on on Saturday. That was a a good chance. He got slipped in well. Um, he started Archie's body as if he was going to have the shot, and then he just seemed to go to pieces. And before he knew it, Maguire uh, had completely wiped him out, and you know the chance had gone. And he never looked like the same player after that. I mean, I, I put a, a tweet out in the second half when I just said, you know, Hosselu has a shot, but it's awful, um, and. There was loads of people like liking it and retweeting it because like it kind of just summed up Newcastle's day. Yeah. I don't think they were picking on him necessarily, and I certainly wasn't picking on him when I put the tweet out. But it was you—you you seen the chance? The one in the second half—it was genuinely awful. It was it was it almost hit the corner flag, and that's just where the players' confidence is at the minute. Where the goal's going to come from? Well, they've got to get Rondon turned round pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I think Muto's got got to come in at some point. They can't really play. 4-4-2 because they haven't really got the two strikers to do it it's certainly with the Man United game Rondon's out with the Man United game um, so they can't really look at a 4-4-2 they're going to have to do something else but Muto must surely be you know, close to a starting place 
And obviously heading into Old Trafford, you'd expect Rafa to make changes. We expect Fernandes and Dummett to possibly be fit by that point. Do you think he will put Muto in? Because, you know, he has said that he sees Muto as a central striker. Um, Hossley's confidence looked shot on Saturday. Um, Muto, you know, he hasn't had the chance from the start yet, but he did come on the last 15 minutes. He didn't really have a chance at goal, but he looked bright. He put that tackle in in the second half, which got the crowd going. Is it worth throwing him in against Old, Tra- Old Trafford against Man United? I think at some stage he's going to have to throw him in. It was it was interesting when I asked him about him on Friday and he basically said that some some players take long to adapt, some take just a few weeks, some take months. He even used the term years, but I don't think he was referring necessarily to Muto in that regard. I think he was just talking about footballers coming to English football. I don't think he is 100% ready yet, but he's only going to get up to speed if he starts playing and Newcastle need goals, they need more of a threat. And to be fair, every time he's come on, I've, I've thought he's looked lively. I don't think he's really had that many clear-cut opportunities. He won the penalty at Cardiff. But he seems to stretch the defence. It seems to offer something a little bit different. To start him at Old Trafford would be a big call, particularly if he were to start him up front by himself. Possibly he may play in that three line behind the striker because I still think that's where he's likely to play the majority of his football for Newcastle. Rafa says he sees him as a central striker, but I think that realistically Rafa wants a a bigger sort of target man style Rondon player up front. So I think we'll probably see more of Muto in either number 10 or slightly wider role and possibly he might do that this weekend, but maybe another two weeks after the international break, Brighton might be the game he gets thrown in. And for Man United, you know, they're not in the greatest form themselves for a top club. They're already nine points behind the leading the leading two in Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, for them, looking at Newcastle coming to Old Trafford on Saturday, surely their mindset is this is the perfect game number for to bounce back and get back to winning ways. That's that's the way they'll see it, and really Newcastle should look at it in a in a similar way that that this is if you're gonna pick any time to play Man United, yeah. this is it. I mean I've gone down there many times down the years and it's been absolutely awful Newcastle have been thrashed down there humiliated and you know you know watching Newcastle in the 90s like the rivalry between Newcastle and Man United was on par what it is with, with Sunderland in the last few years so Sunderland weren't even Newcastle's main rivals back yeah. then Man United were in my, in my eyes uh, that has completely changed now Man United you know kicked on we we went the other direction um but there's still a there's still a bit of needle between the two sets of fans that goes on all the way through the games at Old Trafford Newcastle really got a revel in this opportunity you know it's a in some ways it's got to be looked at as a pressure off game because nobody expects Newcastle to win the pressure is on in reality because they haven't won but in terms of on the day the 90 minutes the pressure uh is off Man United will be the, the firm favourites if Man United go goal down the, their fans might start turning on them uh, Mourinho's in a, a very strange state at the moment uh, coming out with some crazy statements so an opportunity for Rafa to go and put one over Man United which I'm, I'm sure we, he would relish to do considering his Liverpool things I agree totally about the pressure situation the pressure to a certain degree, it's on Newcastle because they haven't won, but the pressure's firmly on Man United. They have to get a result this week. They have to get a positive result because Mourinho is under immense pressure. The Pogba situation is just ramping up another notch. I think after the game at the weekend, he was asked by journalists if he'd stop and talk, and he said to them, do you want me to get shot or something to those regards? It, it, the whole situation is turning. There's reports coming out that the players expect Mourinho to go soon. So in in that sense... 
Newcastle go there and the story isn't isn't about Newcastle. Obviously, it is on Tyneside, but in general, all the pressure's on Man United. It's on TV at half five on Saturday. All the build-up to the game will be about Pogba, Mourinho. Could this be Mourinho's last game if Newcastle get the win? And so, Newcastle have got a relish in that. They've, they've got to go there and, and stay solid defensively as they have been, even on Saturday, although they were missing two key players and they, con- they looked shaky from set pieces in general Newcastle's defence was alright and I don't worry for them there and it's a sort of team Mourinho doesn't really want to face a team who probably aren't going to come go to Old Trafford and be expansive they're going to try and match the way Man United play and, and Mourinho doesn't like to play on the front foot so I, th- I think that don't get me wrong it's a very very difficult game but that all the pressure is off Newcastle it really is on Man United and, and in the situation Newcastle are in at least there isn't going to be that great scrutiny so Do you think Given what you've both said there, in terms of the pressure is all going to be on Mourinho, it is going to take a bit of heat off Newcastle heading that weekend. If the, if Newcastle were to get a goal, the old Trafford crowd turn, and you know the pressure ramps up Man United, they could hold out, get a win, even a draw would be a good result. Is there a case for Newcastle to kind of be a bit more gung ho, not in term, not like taking the game to Man United, but be a bit more adventurous in the attacking third? Because you saw against Arsenal, I know it was a home game, but. The first half there, they kind of took the game to Arsenal and had a bit of success. They didn't score, but another day they could have done. Is there an argument they could do that at Old Trafford, or is it a case of you know stay in the game as long as we can and then try and nick a late goal? I, I, I just get the feeling that they will go there and be defensive. Yeah. Um, just that's what the expectancy is. Uh, it will be good to see them make a the sprightly start of the game. If they can go one 0 up, then they've got something to protect. Yeah. So they are capable of. You know, this team isn't putting its best for four at the moment. It's it, they are capable of getting goals. You are capable of playing well. Um, this isn't a, they, this team couldn't have become a bad one overnight. You know, they've had a bad start of the season. They've had a tough start with the fixtures. I know that's an excuse that can't be, um, you know, continued for much longer. But you know, Leicester's Leicester spent a hundred and one million in the summer. Man United. You know, is is always hard. So you could extend that that tough start to the, the last couple of games. Crystal Palace pro- probably should have got a win down there, really, with the way things are going. But at the end of the day, point in any other circumstance isn't a bad result. You've got the clean sheet. You you hope they'd kick on this weekend. They didn't. So yeah, I think if they can get uh, that sprightly start to the game, that that would be nice. But I fully expect. Uh, park in the bus situation yet again. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Benitez going there and, and being overly offensive. But w- what I will say is that, well, certainly last season when Newcastle went to Old Trafford early on, they had a few opportunities. They scored, went to, to Dwight, the Etihad. Gale, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Gale scored. They went to the Etihad and scored as well through Jacob Murphy. Albeit that was in the second half. Newcastle, when they are on song, when they have players such as Kennedy or Murphy or the Pacier players on the break. They can be a real threat on the counter-attack. We haven't seen it much this season. Kennedy's been out of sorts. Murphy's been in and out of the team. Atsu hasn't really done anything yet. Perez hasn't hit his his straps yet. If these players can suddenly find a performance and go into Old Trafford, could really G them up. Yes, it could have the opposite effect and they could freeze up, but these players have done it before. They were there last season. Newcastle will be a threat on the break, and I think that that's where they've got to try and exploit Man United yes soak up some pressure but make sure that when they do get the ball be better with it and hopefully now Shelby's had a couple of games he's starting to, f- to find his range again and he can be the one to supply those passes going forward You mentioned you touched on it there Chris um, in terms of Newcastle tend to raise the game against these bigger sides the top six 
do you see a similar situation arise on Saturday then? Do you think they'll raise their performance? I mean, there's going to have to be some sort of response from that Leicester performance on Saturday because it wasn't good enough, wasn't it? Well, it certainly wasn't good enough. I think uh, what what I can observe from, from the modern player is that, you know, going to Man United, Arsenal, Man City, they, do, they know that the whole world's watching them and a lot of players, you know, as, as much as we don't like to admit it, a lot of players are at Newcastle because they know it's a stepping stone. Um, there's... To, to bigger things and I think uh, Man United there'll be some players in there who've admired Man United down the years and they know that have see, seen it on telly in other countries Man United is the big game they know the whole world's watching so that this this Saturday is a real chance for them to uh, to go out and, and impress people and hopefully uh, that works in Newcastle's favour you know it used to be the other way Newcastle used to go there as I say in the 90s and they'd be grappling for the title with Man United Ferguson v Keegan, Daglish v Ferguson, stuff like that. Uh, it's not, it hasn't worked out that way uh, in recent times, but hopefully this weekend the Newcastle can just scrape something out of it. If they can get a point out of this game, it'd be a fantastic result. And if, obviously, if the worst was to happen, you know, this losing run extends, Newcastle will win this, so it'll be eight Premier League games by that point, won't it? Um, I mean, I asked you this before the Leicester game, these are, the interesting to know Chris's thoughts on this. In terms of the, the psychological barrier of not winning in, in that amount of games, how much of a concern is it then if they do get beat off Manchester United they then have two weeks to stew on that before they face Brighton in what Rafa Benitez has called the start of the, the, you know that period where Newcastle need to pick a point? That is a huge concern. I mean, I think if they don't win this weekend, I'm right in saying that they've equaled the length of time it took Steve McLaren's team to win. I think that was the ninth match when they beat Norwich. Yeah. And even that Norwich match, I mean, everything went Newcastle's way that day. Was it six two or whatever it was in the end? Six, I can't remember exact score, but six two. Six two. Wijnaldum got four. Yeah, yeah. Wijnaldum got four. Newcastle, if you actually look back at the stats of that game, I think they only had about nine or ten shots. Basically, everything went in that day. It was it wasn't a six two game for one of it. Norwich played reasonably well and then expand the second half. So Newcastle need something like that. They need a game to turn for them because if they don't win this weekend, as I'm doubtful that they will, I think they can go and get a point, but I just don't think they've quite got enough in them at the moment, the way they're not scoring enough goals to go and win at Old Trafford. If that is the case, they're going to have this two weeks, but to a certain extent, that's an opportunity. Yes, there's going to be negativity on Tyne's side. There's going to be negativity within the dressing room because they haven't won yet. But for the players who don't go in at national duty, this is two weeks where they're really going to have to reflect They've already had to sit through two weeks of the first international break where they didn't win. This time they're going to have to just think, this is a situation we need to get ourselves out of. They're going to have to work hard. Benitez is going to have to get them on that training ground and be working to find a way to resolve things because the Brighton game is huge. Psychologically, they have to to get a win that day. I don't think it's must-win in terms of they'll be cut adrift. I think it's must-win in terms of psychologically it is becoming a barrier now to win games because it's all people are talking about. They're winless seven games without a win, eight games without a win. The longer that goes on, the more it drags on. As we saw last season during that nine-game winless run, it became a, it, it almost it was a snowball effect. And then they're putting a performance out of nothing at West Ham. Really did really well there and got the win. They're going to need something like that and probably need to do that Brighton game. And Lee, you touched on it earlier in the podcast. There was a, a smattering of booze when Matt Ritchie was taking off. It wasn't the whole crowd, but there was a lot. There was a, you know fans were letting their frustration to be known. You know, we know we all know that the issue this summer was Rafa Benitez was let down in the transfer market. He wasn't given the money to spend. We end up with net profit. Yeah. But the season's now in October. Is it time to draw a line under that and time for Rafa to get the best out of the group that he does have? 
I think he, that's exactly what he's trying to do. Yeah. He's, he's working around around the clock to do it. I mean, what I feel sorry for with Rafa is, is that he he's the one who comes out. He's the one who faces the media. He doesn't get any support from Charnley coming out and yeah. taking some questions about what's going on with the club, the transfer kitty. Ashley says nothing. He's, he's emerged back on the scene in the last couple of games. Uh, but, you know, he just has no interest in speaking to the media whatsoever. I mean, really, Charnley hasn't said anything to the media for a long time. Um, claims he's the man in the middle. But at the end of the day, Newcastle's only representative in terms of boardroom level coming out is Rafa Benitez and, and I, I don't think that's that's fair I think yes he is a manager he takes responsibility of course he's capable of, of taking that responsibility as well um, I wrote a piece not so long ago when I said that at the moment he was above criticism because of what he achieved last season yeah. I, th- I think that you know people who were criticising need to, to cut, him, cut him the slack because of what he is working with I mean he, even if, you, as I say, this going in this weekend's game, if he wanted to go four four two, he couldn't do it because he hasn't got the two centre forwards available. Um, he'd have to play someone out of position. Um, the defensive situation on Saturday was interesting. A couple of knocks, and all of a sudden you've got somebody playing out of position in, in Kennedy. Uh, you've got Mankio, who's not really a convincing replacement. That was something that needed to be sorted in the summer. It wasn't. Um, just this, this, just little creaks all over, around the squad. If he finishes anywhere near 10th this season, again, he would be manager of the year material. I think if he keeps them up um, this time, I think that, that would be an achievement in itself because we've got 30 games left now. Uh, they somehow got to find 38 points from those games. So they're going to need at least 10 wins and a few draws scattered around the place. So it's going to be hard. There's not much room for error now. Um, if they lose to Man United, suddenly it's that 30-game season. It's going to be very difficult. And if there's one man capable of leading Newcastle to safety, then then it's Rafa because the pe- there are people... I mean, I got a lot of correspondence on Saturday night from people criticising Rafa um, about his tactics. But realistically, who who's going to come in and, and do it? But maybe that isn't even the question. Who is Charnley and Ashley... Who, who are they capable of bringing in to, that's going to take on a 30-game challenge, keep Newcastle up and sort all the mess out? I, I don't think there's many candidates out there that would that, that the public would buy around here. And is that important to remember, Chris? You, you know, there are going to be frustrations about certain decisions Rafa, Rafa makes. There's always going to be that, regardless of how much support he has. It was the same with Bobby Robson, the same with Kevin Keegan. You know, every manager has going to be little gripes about certain things they do. But it's important to remember that A, how much he was compromised in the summer when you look at Kennedy's playing left-back, a position that Newcastle have wanted to strengthen in the last three transfer windows. It hasn't happened. It's important to remember that, that you know, Benitez hasn't really been given the proper hand that he deserved this summer. Um, you know, and can try and remember the bigger picture when, when they are airing their frustrations and criticising the manager. Yeah, I, I said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I don't think there is anything contradictory about believing that Rafa Benitez is the best man for the job and that he will get things right and disagreeing with individual decisions he makes, be that tactical, personnel-wise, be that something he may say. I don't think there is anything... They're not mutually exclusive. You can believe that players go out of form, players make mistakes, managers are the same. We as journalists, we will make mistakes at certain points, we will do things that we could have done better. That is just the nature of... of, That's 
what being a human being is. You, but he is one of the very best managers in the world. I believe in the direction he's taken Newcastle United in general, and I think that he will get things right. There's been bits which I would have questioned over the last few weeks, which I have questioned. I haven't been sure about some individual decisions, but that doesn't mean I don't think he's the right man for the job. He hasn't been delivered things in the transfer market. I think Newcastle have really backed themselves into a corner with the statement, the joint statement they released before the start of the season, whereby for a start, Benitez's name being on it, which was, he didn't say exactly what was in the statement in his press conference literally hours before that. Um, The two didn't quite tally up, which I I think for a start shows that there's some disconnect there. But also, Newcastle themselves say they think this squad is better than it was last season. If they think that, then in theory, the team should be looking to be certainly where they were last season, if not pushing higher. And that, that puts unnecessary pressure on Rafa Benitez further than he already has because they haven't delivered for him. They haven't given the players he needs. And yet everyone, supposedly in the hierarchy at the club, believes that the squad's better. If that's the case, then survival as a minimum shouldn't really be the case. But we all know that survival would be a huge achievement. And in terms of what you said on Saturday after the game, he said, look, we, we know we're not in the great situation, but... We have got this run of fixtures coming up where it's really important. We've targeted these run of fixtures to get the points that's going to lift us up the table. This isn't a reaction thing to the poor start of the season. You know, we all looked at the fixtures at the start of the season and thought, wow, tough start. But October, November, they've got a real chance to kind of pull themselves back up and into the mid table places. Um, you know, Rafa's a man that we need to trust to deliver those points, isn't he? Well, I think he is. I, th- I personally think there's no nobody uh, better available out there who could do the job at the minute. And as I say, it's it's not that that isn't really the question. The question is is who who would Ashley and Charnley be capable of luring into doing the job on you know very limited budget, uh, limited resources. You can't really do anything with the reserves, the training ground. It's not the worst training ground in the world, but there's a lot better out there. Um, the need to they need to aim high and they're not aiming high at the minute. They're not even aiming in the middle. Uh, that's that's the big issue. I mean, as I say, Mike Ashley has returned to the scene in, in the last couple of games. Um, he's now uh, arranged to take the manager and the, the players out for a meal. It's just the, it's the old thing, isn't it? That they needed to spend money in the summer. They didn't. Uh, Ashley needed to turn up and show he was interested. He didn't. They, they make a really bad start of the season, suddenly turns up um, the, the last two games, gets loads of criticism as expected. Um, they didn't give Rafa the money to spend. Suddenly the team aren't winning. Now he wants to take them out for a meal. It's like, it's always, it's almost always after the horse. Mm. <laughs> you know bolted, you know yeah. what I mean? Horse is bolted. And, and for Newcastle fans, it's so frustrating because you can see what's going on. Um, in the summer, they knew they needed a left back, they knew they needed a right back, they knew they needed a centre forward. They didn't didn't make any of these signings. The, there was opportunities to bring in some good players. They wouldn't pay the money. The Fabian Scher situation, where it was a three million pound release clause, and they were like, I think they were going up in like one point five million bid. It's like bidding for a player who's got a release clause. You know yeah. the price, just pay it. And eventually, the the spluttered through and they got a few players in, but you know the squad. Uh, it's just not where it should be at the minute and a few more injuries they're, they're in serious trouble the problem that Newcastle have as a hierarchy in my opinion the way that they look at things is survival and that is it but if your only goal is survival 
eventually it comes and bites you. Sunderland for 10 years, their only hope really was survival. They never tried to kick on. They never tried to progress. Eventually, there's going to be teams who have more money than you, who have more ambition, who just sign better players or just have more luck in one season and then you're at risk. Newcastle have to be looking to, to push on and break into potentially the top eight. You may not do it, but what you will do in the process is ensure you're not in a real relegation scrap. The longer that you just stay in around there when you have teams who replace... Weak teams may have gone down last year in Stoke, who, again, was probably the last couple of years became just about survival. They've been replaced with Wolves and Fulham who have serious money, Wolves who have serious ambition. And and if your ambition is then only to, to stay up, there becomes fewer and fewer other teams who you can stay up above instead of so I think that's where Newcastle's issue is Rafa Benitez recognises that you've always got to strive for self-improvement because other teams will so in that sense you know Ashley's been there the last two weeks two performances that you know didn't set the world alight at all yes it'll be five months too late but do you think that you know seeing how poor the performance was on Saturday Will that give any, you know, will that give him any sort of motivation to improve the team in the January transfer window? And, you know, is it too late? And will he actually make an effect? Because you think back to the McLaren season that went down, they spent a lot of money in that January transfer window. Mm-hmm. You know, the likes of John Joe Shelby, Andros Townsend, good players, but they couldn't quite keep Newcastle up. No, they couldn't. And they've done it before. They've done it in uh, 2013 when they won relegation trouble under. Basically, what happened in that one, 2012-13, basically, Pardew told the board at the time I'm happy with the squad I've got we don't need to spend money he thought people like Shane Ferguson Sammy Amiobi Media Bead he thought all them would be good squad players to, to bring in if needed and they just, they just weren't good enough you know Harris Vukic another one Biggie Romana all these players he said they'll be good backup for the first team and we can survive and we can save the money they got a January and they were in serious trouble and that to like bring in um, Sissoko Hidara Gufran people like that Debucci. So it it turned out that they just scraped up with a game to go. Um again, the McLaren one, they tried it, didn't come off, they end up getting relegated, bringing in Rafa too late again. They just always react when it's too late, you know. They they need to have a summer where they get everything sorted and they get off to a flyer and then and then they can build from there. But at the minute it's just it's not it's it's business logic, but it's business logic from a small business, a small mindedness, and uh, sadly, you know they are where they are where they um, deserve to be at the minute. They're never proactive; it's always reactionary, and, that, yeah. and that's the problem. You've got to be proactive in these situations. The one summer they have been over the last few years in 2016, when they went down the championship, they went on and won the championship. Um, Benitez himself was asked this question after the game on Saturday, and he said that uh, he thinks Mike Ashley does recognise because everyone recognises that this squad needs investment. At the time, Benitez hadn't spoken with Ashley. If he does in the next few days when they go out for a meal, perhaps he'll get some more of an idea of to whether uh, Ashley really is thinking about giving him money to spend in January. But the problem is that the January market's even more difficult than the summer market. Prices go up higher, and for a club like Newcastle who don't want to spend money, that's an issue. The players aren't necessarily available that you would have wanted because they've either joined a new club already or they'll be looking at Newcastle, see if they're at a club on the continent who are doing all right in their league, maybe even in Europe, who may have signed for Newcastle in the summer because they could have come to the Premier League and it was for more money. They might look at it in January if Newcastle are in relegation trouble and think, hmm, I could wait till the summer here and possibly get a move. I don't need to go right now. 
that's the issue. Newcastle have made everything more difficult for themselves and any players that do sign in January for the money they spend won't be as good as the players that could have signed for less money in the summer. And, and you know what? Newcastle have got a reputation now in, in Europe because foreign chairman, they, they, they see Newcastle coming now. You know, the the um, Georgianson one with uh, Feyenoord, wasn't it? Yeah. In, in January, uh, you know, putting in paltry bids, um, expecting that them to change their mind. Did you see Newcastle come? You know, they're like, oh, here they come again. Let, trying to chance the luck. Newcastle haven't got a reputation of getting deals done. And that that spreads around Europe. You know, they, they got really lucky with it, that the sort of French kind of era when they, they signed all those players coming in. They got them on bargain prices. People like Kabai. Um, they got Ben Arthur quite cheap as well. Uh, but now... If Newcastle go into this window desperate uh, um, for players, which looks like they're going to be, and if they've only got a limited kitty, then teams are just going to suss them out straight away. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they start offering Benitez a new contract first two weeks of January, run the clock down by two weeks, then go in the last fortnight and struggle to get players in. That wouldn't surprise me at all. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. On the flip side of that, obviously you mentioned, you know, Rafa getting a new deal. His future still very much up in the air. You know, yes, the last few trans windows have been very frustrating, but could it be like any a, a last throw of the dice for Mashley to if you give them some money that could they you know persuade Benitez to to sign on for a few more years? Well, I said this last week on the podcast. Benitez himself keeps talking about January, and he really says he doesn't want contract talks until after then. I struggle to see how January, no matter what happens, can convince Benitez that alone can convince him to stay because the trust is eroded to such an extent that if Ash, even if Ashley does go out and spend a fair amount of money in January, if I was Benitez, this is, if I was personally in his situation, it would just make me think, well, that's money he's not going to spend going forward. He could just turn around. I could sign another two, three-year contract now or even a five-year contract, and then I could find myself in the same situation in the summer where we don't progress again. Yes, he's going to have to spend in January, A, to keep Newcastle up, and B, to have any chance of convincing Benitez, but I don't think that alone is enough. The trust has to be restored in some way there needs to be an olive branch off. I'd hopefully starting this week with with them going out for a meal, but there needs to be far, far more than that. There needs to be investment in the training ground, investment in parts of the stadium, investment in the academy, just to make Newcastle an attractive proposition again to Benitez, the club that he initially signed for, that he thought could be a top eight club. At the moment, I don't think that spending in one window is going to change all of the... Tr- it's going to suddenly restore all the trust that's been eroded. It needs to be far more. I mean, what a place as well to to sort of almost break the ice. Uh, going out, for, we believe it's going out for a pizza. I mean, what a place to start, you know, 
building up a relationship again. Uh, you know, everyone's around. People are going to be earwigging. It's in a public place. They've got the facility to to hold a private meeting up there and get things sorted, and you know, lock the door in the in the room until the contract's sorted, and and get it done that way instead of having this. You know, it's almost like a circus where you know this has now been leaked to to one of the national papers. I mean, we've got information on it as well. And all of a sudden, the whole city and everyone on Twitter is talking about this, you know, Ashley dinner day, and it's just, it just turns it into a complete farce. And they could, they could get all this sorted out and look professional because top clubs wouldn't work this way. They just wouldn't do it. I mean, Rafa Benitez must be privately like just shaking his head in, in disbelief at, at what sort of a club he's at. In terms of what you just said there as well, it, it seems like you know he's trying to parade the fact that he is willing to talk to Benitez and he. You know he wants to re-establish this relationship, but for someone who, particularly in takeover talks, is big on you know keeping things in house, keeping things private, it seems a bit of a bizarre approach for him to then you know leak this out to the national press and kind of you know say, I'm trying to re-establish this relationship with Benitez, I'm taking them off a pizza kind of thing. It's yeah, I mean, I I remember um, when Freddie Shepherd was at Newcastle and. If he wanted to go and speak to his manager, he'd be down there. Be- before the players came off the pitch, he'd be waiting down at the, the the tunnel area to go in and speak to the manager before he even got the players. You know, you show that you're in charge of the club, you show some some authority. Uh, and if he wanted to speak to him privately, he would have done it straight after the game. You know, you can almost just about make an excuse at Crystal Palace that, you know, he obviously had to, to get off and get away from the stadium. Raf had to do his major duties. But at home, there is no excuse at that stadium not to to either get Rafa upstairs or, or or him come down to Rafa's office, which is just opposite the dressing room. So I I personally think this this might be because we've done the story yesterday afternoon saying that they still haven't spoken. Um, I think it might be a, a reaction to try and cover that up. Well, what can we do about it? Um, let's let's say we're going out for a meal and then all of a sudden that's out there because I noticed that when we reported the week before when we said absent owner at the club, he, he suddenly turns up at Crystal Palace. So for a club that had a blueprint at one point saying, we will not be persuaded by what's written in the papers. We will not be, um, we'll not act on, on anything that's in the media. For, for a club who say that, they're obsessed with social media because otherwise, why would all this stuff be happening? Exactly. And in terms of communication from the club, Lee was mentioning it earlier, we had a fans forum a week ago now and there's nothing come out of it yet. The, the, the minutes will have been exchanged between all the fans that have got back to them and we still haven't, fans have still not been informed as to what's come out from that. The, the talk, there's a feeling at Newcastle that sometimes things get misbetrayed in the media or that they don't get their point across. If you don't come out and say it and if you don't, if you don't give yourself the forum to be able to do which we are more than welcome off and we will speak to Lee Charnley, we will speak to, to Mike Ashley, we will put the questions to them and we will listen to their responses. We might not like them, fans might not like them, but we will listen and we will speak to them. But if they don't come out and give that public forum, then... They can't, they can't get annoyed when things leak out, when there's a situation whereby they feel it's being misportrayed. Because until they actually come out and you get it from them, 
this situation is going to keep arising. The fact that Mike Ashley can't even speak to his manager, never mind the Newcastle United fans, is ridiculous. It's just just out of courtesy, you would just go and say hi, just say even if it is just literally a handshake and say hi in the tunnel or something like that before or after the game. To have come up to your first match in sixteen months and the last time you were here, quite happy to parade around the Championship Trophy and be pictured with that with Lee Charnley and, and the manager. But sixteen months on, when things aren't going well can't go and even say hi to him I just find it absolutely incredible it's a lack of presence isn't it really as a, as a, I know I keep mentioning like the top chairman but they, they've got like egos but it's a good ego in a way because you know who's boss you know where to stand but w- with the current regime you just it's it's almost like they're, they're just making it up as they go along yeah I mean Rafa's almost got the opposite problem to what he had at certainly at Real Madrid but even at Napoli whereby the owners were almost too involved and they were down at the they were down at the training ground all the time they were at Real Madrid the, there was even talk that, that the president would sometimes uh, try and ask them to play certain players because they had certain money and Rafa would say no uh, but then at Newcastle it, he's got the opposite where he hasn't got an owner who is actively involved he's only seen him face to face three or four times can't get in touch with him comes to the ground and then doesn't even speak to him and it's just it's just the reverse it's it's it, it, it to a large degree, is is baffling. I just don't understand why, when Mike Ashley thinks his club is worth three hundred, three hundred and fifty million pounds. Yes, he wants to sell it, but if you think that your business is worth that much money, why aren't you putting more time into it? He's just bought House of Fraser for ninety million. Yes, I know in theory that could be worth a lot more than that, but he's putting all this time and effort into that. Yet the asset he wants to get money from at the moment is almost, until the last two weeks when he's turned up at games, has almost been like, oh, this is this is too much bother, I can't be bothered. So now he's turned up two weeks in a row, are we expecting this to be a regular thing? Do we expect him to be at Old Trafford on Saturday? Good question. I think, you know, the, the, the next home game, I think he, he could well be at that one because he knows that, you know, he, he may feel that, you know, the intensity of the crowd will get less and less the more he turns up and it becomes less of a sort of novelty. Um, I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but... Rafa summed it up on Saturday. He said, does it really, it doesn't matter if he turns up or not. It's what about what happens on the pitch. And you can only do what you can with the with the players you've got. So it's, we'd like to be sitting here today, as we do every Monday, we'd like to be sitting here today talking about a good performance, a good win, three points, uh, good goals, good, good, good individual players by um, the squad. And sadly, we're sitting here talking about pizzas, Mike Ashley... <laughs> Uh, not going down to the to, to the <coughs> manager's office after the game. We're just talking about very um, petty things. Is pizza the best thing in the build-up to a big game as well? This is what I, this is what I find a little bit baffling. I mean, no, it's supposed it's a tie. Suppose they could have other food, but I just it's just interesting. Isn't it? I think it's. I've seen some some of the reserve players sometimes come out with a slice of pizza, so it might be. That's usually post game, though, isn't it's, it? So it's afterwards. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, as you say, it's hard to break down that in the build-up to a big game. So, don't know. You know, and obviously. Reports on Saturday prior to the game was, you know, the emergence of Peter Kenyon, the former Man United and Chelsea executive, who has been linked with a takeover. Just in terms of where we stand today, what is the current situation on Peter Kenyon and his reported interest in Newcastle? Well, the current situation is, and like I checked this out on Saturday night, is that Ashley's aware of his interest. There has been some, I don't even see we could say preliminary talks. There's been some kind of inquiry as to whether the club is definitely still for sale. He was told, yes, it is. Then it's a case of him going away to get proof of funds and going through the whole same process as Amanda Stavely did. 
Uh, none of that's really happened. It's just interested at the minute. I think Kenyon uh, is interested, but he hasn't got all the back as he needs. So it's very it's very similar to the Staveley situation, really. And for Newcastle fans who are all, who are all desperate for Newcastle to, to, to have a new owner and to be able to kick on, uh, it would be a great thing. But at the minute, it is where it is. And even... You just get the feeling if he even if he does put in a big bid, Ashley might not, you know, accept that. You know, I think it's a frustration for Newcastle fans as well, though that the hopes are getting built up again, and it is still very at a very early stage. We wanted to, as well as journalists as anyone, we wanted it to be when it came, if it ever does come close to being taken over, that it, it is at the stage where it looks like it's going to happen because. The last thing Newcastle fans need is is hope built up and then dash and also just a, another thing to distract away from the fact that they just need to stay in the Premier League for now. If it if it does come off, brilliant and, and good luck to, to Peter Kenyon. I hope he does follow his interests too. I hope it does go further. But the fact that it's leaked out so early in itself just immediately makes you, you think, mm, I'm not too sure about this because Mike Ashley didn't like how it played out in the media with Amanda Stavely. I don't think he's going to like it playing out in the media because he doesn't want to, he do, he wants to be in charge. He doesn't want to it seem that he's low-balled in any case because the, the way it's playing out in the media. So for that, I am slightly tentative. But if, if Peter Kenyon can pull it together and bring it off, he certainly has the pedigree to be someone who could take the club forward in terms of, the thinking person behind it rather than necessarily the person with the money because he's going to need to, to, to get those investors behind him. And I, when, when it does happen, it will happen so quickly as well. Um, I mean, I'm saying when. I mean, eventually, one day, hopefully Newcastle do have a new owner. But I remember when Ashley took over, we went into work in the old Chronicle office and uh, there was a few murmurings of what's going on. Um, there was this this whisper that this guy called Mike Ashley was, was going to come in and buy the club. At the time, you know, we put that to the people who were in charge at the time. I think it was Russell Russell Cushion. Uh, I spoke to him. He said, "Oh, there's nothing going on. Nothing going on here today. Not, you've got all that wrong." Within 20 minutes, it would be announced Ashley had bought all the shares. So it can it it happens so quickly. You know, the the presses were rolling again, and it was a a full front page thing on Matt, who is Mike Ashley kind of thing. So it it is possible, you know. But again, you'll not see. 10, 12 articles on it building up to it it'll just it'll just happen very quickly we don't want to labour the point you know in terms of you know getting Newcastle fans hopes up as you said there the Stavely saga it rumbled on for a long time but I mean the one difference you'd say with Peter Kenyon and Amanda Stavely was you know Kenyon has got that experience in football at top top Premier League clubs he has and, and that's certainly if he is able to get a consortium together who can give Mike Ashley what he wants big question is what Mike Ash, what does Mike Ashley want because speaking to people it sounds that the goalposts seem to shift so radically anyway even when he is in negotiations and it might not just be it might be that there might be a set price but on top of that he may want advertisements for Sports Direct going forward uh, he may want times with the club shop we don't know what or, all the little deals are going to come up but Peter Kenyon certainly has the credentials he, he's been at Man United he's been at Chelsea both times helped increase revenue streams at both clubs but also attract some of the very biggest players he kept Sir Alex Ferguson at the club when Fergie was going to initially retire Kenyon was said to be influential in keeping him there and getting him to stay on longer he brought the likes of Ruud van Nistelrooy Juan Sebastian Veron players world renowned to Man United made them into the real global brand they are now same with Chelsea he was at 
for a large part with Roman Abramovich basically hand-picked him, cherry-picked him to, to come to Stamford Bridge and did very well there. So he has all the credentials, but he doesn't have the money and until he can get people who have the money, it is just at that stage someone who has a vision for Newcastle, hopefully, which would be aligned to Rafa Benitez, but for now he isn't going to be able to put that in practice until the funds are shown by investors elsewhere. And in terms of Rafa Benitez's future, Anna Takeover, two questions here. The first one being, does Mike Ashley have a window now between now and the end of the season where really if he does want to sell the club, which he is saying he still does, he has to do it while Benitez is in charge because it's the club. The club's price will drop down a bit when you don't have that world-class manager already in place. For me, I think there's there's two ways looking at it. There's the one way what he's talking about there, but the second one is that do they have a plan that if Rafa Benitez doesn't agree a deal and they eventually get rid of him, they think, oh, we're going to bring our old man in and start fresh, take it down for sale. Do, you know, they, they would love, Newcastle would love at the minute to have a, a yes man in charge where they're going to come out and be more in line with what Ashley and Charlie are saying. Rafael said how he sees it. Um, I, I don't know, I just think that we, we might not have seen the end of them. Yeah, and in terms of you know Peter Kenyon coming in to buy the club, we, we mentioned there Rafa Benitez's future is going to be vital. Um, in terms of that, is the only other way if he can't sign a deal to keep him at the club is for that takeover to be pushed through beforehand? Because you know that that that's going to give Benitez the the kind of encouragement to say, well, yeah, you know, if I sign on now, it's the start of a new project. I've got Newcastle stabilising the Premier League and keep them up. I've got some batters in now who actually are going to give me money to spend. Let's see how far we can take the club. I mean, yeah, I would presume that if Kenyon came in, he would want to keep Rafa Benitez. I don't know that for a fact, but Peter Kenyon is, is a football man and he will recognise how good a manager Rafa Benitez is. His Chelsea team, when Kenyon was chief executive there, were battling against uh, Liverpool at the time, who were managed by Rafa Benitez. Title challengers, he knows how good a manager this is. Um, Rafa Benitez himself... I can't speak for him in terms of that scenario because I don't know what he would be offered in that situation. But Rafa wants to stay. He likes being at the club. He still thinks that it could be a top eight, top six club competing in Europe, competing for trophies. One of the few, for want of a better term and less used term, sleeping giants, someone who really could break into that mould. That's what Peter Kenyon sees. That's what Rafa Benitez sees. And if they are to share that vision, then I think that that could help convince Benitez to stay. But but as I say, we're not at that point yet, unfortunately. Um, and until we are, there is going to be that uncertainty over Benitez's future beyond the end of the season. Well, touch words, you know, someone does come in and take over the club and Benitez's future is resolved. Um, just to finish up, guys, um, we're going to do the, the, the latest weekly feature we've got going on here. Where it's canny week and not so canny week where you nominate someone who you think you've had a canny week or a not so canny week and explain why. Uh, Chris? Uh, I'm going to go for, I think the the obvious choice would have been Hosselu, but who I'm actually going to go for uh, is Kennedy. I actually thought, to some degree, he played okay at left back out of position. I thought discipline-wise, in terms of staying in the position, he did quite well. Uh, Benitez seemed to coach him through the first half, but there were also occasions where he tried to overplay. Um, he, there was a situation in the second half where I thought he was very fortunate when he slipped um, essentially went down quite easily and Leicester were on the break and I don't think it was a foul but the referee gave it and Leicester would have been cleaned through on goal I just think it's been a poor start of the year from Kennedy um, his stock is falling at the minute 
and he's one of the few players who really could uh, ignite Newcastle's season. He can do something out of nothing. He can be the real creative force. Uh, he was being linked to big clubs in the summer. It hasn't. They didn't materialise, and at the moment, I don't think they'd be even contemplating uh, bringing him to them. And he even said himself that he wants to win a title with Chelsea going forward. Well, at the moment, you wouldn't get anywhere near their team. So, uh, yes, he played out of position, but I just think for someone like Kennedy, the amount of chances he's been given, he had a, a not so canny week because he really, really needs to, to start fighting form again. Do you agree with that, Lee? Yeah, I think it was always going to be difficult from dropping to, to left back, but I think. If, if you look at his stats, he, did, he was on the ball quite a lot. He did have, I think it was 75-plus touches or something like that. So, yeah, it wasn't the, the, the most ideal situation, but he's, he is not playing anywhere near what he's capable of. Uh, last season, he was fantastic. Uh, then I think his agent filled his head with talk of PSG, uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, and then he's come back and he just just seems all over the place at the minute. And um, Yeah, so I, I would I would agree with that, yeah. And in terms of your pick, anyone who had a canny week or out of the long list of people who probably didn't have a not-so-canny week? Well, for me, it hasn't been a good week for, for Rafa Benitez it's because he hasn't he hasn't got the result he wanted. Uh, he probably hasn't had the sit-down conversation with Mike Ashley. So, um, not his fault in some ways, but it hasn't been a good week for, for Rafa Benitez. Chris? I'd agree with that. I mean, the, obviously there were some boos, not the whole ground, as I've already said when he substituted Richie and this is what when I think about going into next season and, and if Mike Ashley's still going to be here and Benitez hasn't seen any change yes Benitez loves the club and yes there aren't necessarily any obvious alternatives as to where he would go but I also think that he must look at that and think I'm being made to look a fool to a certain extent here my reputation that I've built up that I've even built up over the last two years and what I've done with Newcastle is now starting to be damaged because you've put me in such a weak position and it hasn't been a good week for him but as we know there's so many uh, circumstances which have uh, have gone against him and that's why I think that he must be sitting there looking and thinking this owner needs to sort something out because he is now impacting on me personally and that, that's not what I signed up for here. I think that's a fair assessment. I think you know, if we're going to try and be slightly positive I'll go for someone who's had a canny week you didn't have much time on the pitch, but Yoshinori Mutu got got 15 minutes on Saturday. Coming on, um, he made a decent enough impact. He didn't really have that much time to impress, but he was energetic. Uh, you know, as I said before, he made that tackle that, that built the crowd. And given Hossley's performance, and you know, he, he is going through a bit of a crisis of confidence after making a decent start of the season. He probably didn't do his chances any harm of starting against Man United on Saturday. I don't know if you two would agree with that. Yeah, I think that uh, to a certain degree, I know we've seen a bit of Muto because he's coming on as substitute appearances, but it's almost, uh, it, it's like when a player's out injured and they become better over a long period of time. I think the thing with Muto is no one really knows what he's going to offer. And the, the more and more Newcastle are struggling up front, the more and more clamour there's going to be for Muto to come in. He may come in and really impress. He may not. We don't know yet. But I, I think it has been a canny week for him because the alternatives aren't necessarily performing that well. So it's looking more and more likely he's going to get a chance soon, yeah. Do you agree with that, Lee? I think Muto definitely, you know, he's knocking on the door now. He, he did okay when he come on. Um, I mean, he, he, at the end of the day, he's come here um, and he's, he's got a bit of a kind of a superstar kind of aura about him. He's got all these sort of Japanese journalists following him around. Uh, he was doing, holding his own press conference after the game. Um, he had cameramen following him around. He is a big deal. Um, there is a lot of interest in him over there so hopefully you know he, he can come good and uh, start justifying that 9.5 million 
price tag. Just on that point of the, the journalist following around, when you first think about it, you think, oh, what a great job that would be, just being able to follow someone who might not play that much. But then I, I was thinking, after every single game that he's, he's featured in, even just for 10 minutes, he, he does a press conference which lasts about 10, 15 minutes. And fair play to the journalists because what can they possibly have been asking him this weekend? Because <laughs> you've got past the, oh, you've been at Newcastle for a while, you've settled in. And I was just standing there thinking, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know if Lee would agree. I wouldn't know what to ask him after that amount of time, after that many appearances where you must have asked him the same questions over and over again. What can you possibly, what could he possibly be talking about? It's incredible, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, and sadly, you know, we've got no access yeah. to him um, at, at the moment because his English isn't... I think he can speak a little bit of English, but he isn't confident enough to, to do things with the English media. So he's, he's going to have... He, once he does brush up on his English, he's going to have a, quite a busy time after games. Very much so. Well, hopefully he gives uh, his, his band of journalists something to, to write about this weekend. And thanks for joining us today, guys. Um, we'll be bringing you all the latest Newcastle United news on Chronicle Live throughout the week. If there's any update on Peter Kenyon's interest, any takeover news... We'll bring that to you as well as the latest and Rafa Benitez, Mike Ashley and uh, their pizza they're going to have this week. Um, okay, so thanks for joining us. We've been the Everything is Black and White podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working so while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out.